This is Paul Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Weekdays at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. At Gallant Says on Twitter. Text into the show at 710-710. Hello and welcome aboard the Paul Gallant Show on this Thursday, August 5th, 2021. I am Paul Gallant. This is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. One you can jump aboard by texting in 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company tax line. By phone later on in the program, 10-15, your chance to be heard. The Graz joins me at 10-30 in the sports pit. We'll take a look at where the Mariners stand in the wild card race. But I was out at Seahawks training camp again yesterday, and ooh, it was a rough, rough day for the offense. You had fumbles, drops, missed handoffs, missed open throws. Fumbled snaps. Bad snaps, period. Russell Wilson holding on to the football for too long. Now, it's not the end of the world that there were some struggles. This is to be expected. The Seahawks are installing a new offense. Shane Waldron is a first-time offensive coordinator. And they seem to be focusing on an element of their offense that was completely missing last year. I think that's important. I think that it's important that Russ rewires himself a little bit away from constantly looking for the big play and taking what the defense gives him from time to time. I do think that you want that to happen, but I wonder if it can happen a little bit too much. I wonder if that becomes perhaps down the road after a couple of games, an issue between Russell Wilson and Shane Waldron. And I'm looking so far down the road right now. But I do think that that is something that could potentially happen. You know, when you have a guy like Russ who is so good at improvising and has been so good, maybe won't be quite so good at improvising in the future because of reduced mobility. You do want to make sure that he has the ability to make plays from time to time. And my hope is that what we have seen out of practice thus far, a commitment to short passing, quick passes, things just getting the ball out as fast as possible in addition to rhythm and tempo and making things move a lot more quickly. My hope is that this is just a for now kind of thing. But whatever yesterday was, it wasn't good. I mean, we all know how rosy Pete Carroll is about things. We all know how sunshiny he can be, talking about players up and down the roster. But even he yesterday was looking at things and saying, yeah, this needs to be better. Today was a hard day for the offense. You know, we, we, we didn't handle the ball very well. We had some, some ball handling things that we didn't do well. So, um, nah, you know, I don't think this was a great day for us to improve. I think we've got we to gotta come back and bounce back from this day. I hope they do. I really hope they do. And I think it's going to be potentially good for the offense to have a clunker like this. Because guess what? This happens in training camp. This happens in games. We obviously saw it for half a season with the Seahawks down the stretch last year. But you're going to see in practice from time to time, especially early on, offenses puke themselves. And that's what they did. They did that yesterday. It, it was like the defense did not destroy them. They, I felt like, were a victim of themselves. Just 
self-inflicted wounds over and over and over again. And, you know, it's, it's tough to watch at times. I, I wish it was because of the defense, you know? I really do. Especially when we see this piece put out by uh, Shil Capetia in the Athletic about how the Seahawks defense going into this coming season, he, he has them 22nd. I think Pro Football Focus had a rankings of the best defensive lines in the NFL. They have the Seahawks at 29th. You know, I want to feel like the defense was just awesome out there. But, no, that, that wasn't necessarily the case. I'm Paul Gallant. This is the Paul Gallant Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. My question of the day how different do you think Russell Wilson is going to be in Shane Waldron's offense? Is it going to be the same old Russ, or are we going to see a different Russ? When you get to a certain point in your career, you might be what you are. That makes sense. And I would point to, in the NFL, as an example, Brett Favre. Brett Favre was a gunslinger and never became less of a turnover machine over the course of his career. It's one of the reasons that he drove me crazy whenever I watched him. Yes, he made incredible throws, but some of the throws, it felt like, were careless. YOLO balls. And to me, as someone who grew up watching probably the most turnover-averse quarterback in NFL history before Russ, I thought to myself, God, this is gross. I, I I can't enjoy this. He never changed. Russell Westbrook in basketball is somebody that is now going to play with LeBron James, but every single place that he has been, he has been unapologetically Russell Westbrook. Some players will always be the player that they are. And I, I wonder just how much Russell Wilson would tailor himself and change his game in this offense. Because there does need to be some, but you don't want to rewire it entirely, too. You know, this is why it's a very delicate kind of operation if you're Shane Waldron as a first-time offensive coordinator. And it's going to be a challenge to, I think, pick the things that the spots where you feel like attacking the intermediate, attacking the short would have been better than potentially looking at DK Metcalf matched up against a guy who is nowhere close to him athletically and just saying, you know what, he's going to run by him. Or the same thing with Tyler Lockett, who is so good and gifted at as his plays break down finding a spot that's open in the defense, and Russell Wilson seems to know where he's going to go as if they're some Vulcan mind melders, and just tosses it up, and next thing you know, that moon ball comes down and Tyler Lockett's underneath it. So those are things I'm wondering about as this season goes along. 710-710 is the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Russ will be in his locked-in mode. Waldron and him will be constantly focused in and taking week-to-week tweaking. Well, that sounds like coach speak right there, Mr. Texter. I heard a lot of that from Shane Waldron yesterday, and he's saying all the things that I guess you want to hear from an offensive coordinator in that he's being positive going forward after a rough day at the office. The defense has their day, et cetera, et cetera. I said that very sloppily. When you go to practice today, are you going to see a different Russ? That moment in practice where Bobby Wagner said, you're going to have to throw it at some point. Quote, you're going to have to pass sometime after he hesitated and eventually scrambled is the kind of challenge that I want to see from the Seahawks defense too. You know, that is something that I feel like if you had Jamal Adams out there at training camp practice, 
there might be a heightened level of just that kind of competitiveness. Because you see him out there and, and, and you see how excited he is just to watch football. And you know what an enigmatic personality he is. That is something that I kind of would like to see out of the Seahawks right now, obviously, to get him into the fold, to potentially have another person yelling at Russell Wilson. Because it does seem like, to an extent, that did work out back in the Legion of Boom days. Maybe it's, you know, you don't want him necessarily going full Richard Sherman on him, but I feel like that kind of compet- that kind of competitive fire coming from the defense could potentially get Russell Wilson to be a little quicker with his reads or to actually decide to make a decision. But he was a little hesitant yesterday, and that's going to happen. That's going to happen as you learn a new offense and try to make some things a little bit better. I'm Paul Gallant. This is the Paul Gallant Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. 10:15. your chance to be heard, 206-421-3776. You can watch 710sports.com slash video. You can also listen on your 710 app on your smart speaker. This hour of the Paul Galan Show brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. Right now it's 1010. It's time for What's Trending with Maura Dooley. Good morning, afternoon, Maura Dooley. Welcome back. How are you now? Thank you. I'm good. Feeling refreshed, ready for some training camp. I'm sad that I missed the beginning of it. That uh, Rocky Mountain air. <laughs> yes. It's a uh, good thing it's to thin. go back to. It's thin out there. What has happened thus far, it's essentially like every single training camp, where there are some things that you can take away, and but I feel like very often we are a little melodramatic, and I'm, I'm trying to make everyone know here that when I'm talking about the offense, it was a bad day, but this is not, this is not the sky is falling. It does make me wonder, though, just about, you know, Russ and and Shane Waldron's ability to meld. And I'd imagine you've got some questions about that too. Yeah, well, I I was telling you guys this morning, I think I remember this happening at least once every training camp where the defense looks great, the offense is off. Uh, it's not something to panic about, but I, shouldn't we expect some growing pains with a completely different offense, which as Danny noted this morning, yeah. when Schottenheimer came in, he said we're basically doing only 30% my offense. We're keeping most things the same. So, yeah, no, no reason to panic. But I think that we, you know, it is going to take a little bit, a few games at least at the start of the season to fully see everything clicking. I think unanimously we would all sign up for a sluggish first half with a good second half as opposed mm-hmm. to a great first half with a sluggish second half of the season on offense. Traditionally, the Seahawks offense starts out slow. Anyways, last year was surprising. When they came out of the gates firing like that. 2019, too. I mean, Russ at first was incredible. I think the first five, six weeks of the year, his numbers were nuts. And then as the season went along, it's the same thing that happened again. So it's been the last two years kind of thing where they haven't finished strong. Why that is, hopefully it was Brian Schottenheimer. Because that's the that's the main difference that you have in, in 2021. I do think we're going to see a lot more disguising and creativity this year. And so I think even if things start off rocky, people will be excited for that. 100%. Yes. Give me all the jet sweeps. (laughs) Well, we do get a little bit of football tonight, kind of. Yeah. Our first preseason game kicks off with the Hall of Fame game in Canton. The Steelers take on the Cowboys, uh, but we will not be seeing Ben Roethlisberger or Dak Prescott. It's cool to see the uniforms out there. It'll be cool to see fans in the stands, and it is a version of football. Preseason football is a tough watch for me. Uh, it's it's the first five minutes. Yeah, football. Oh, yeah, it's this kind of football. And I hate to say it like that because the preseason is really valuable for guys who are trying to make the roster, and now there's one less game. But there's a part of me that I 
just watch these games and it's just a reminder that this isn't an authentic game. Everything's vanilla. You have guys getting pulled out and put in. You have plays being called that aren't necessarily trying to help a team win. I don't know. It's it's hard to watch preseason football, and generally the first game is the sloppiest game. There's going to be flags everywhere. You're going to get a feeling for how the refs are going to call games this year. I guess I'll watch it, but I don't know how long I'm going to be watching it. Yeah, I always I always get excited. I'm like, I don't care if it's preseason, it's football. I'm excited. And then, yeah, after like the first quarter when you don't know anyone's name anymore, you're like, never mind. All right, this story I know caught your eye. First, first you reported last hour that uh, Jason Garrett had come out to a Giants press conference with the word fight written in Sharpie above the Giants logo on his shirt. Now, Pat Leonard of the New York Daily News says that when reporters said, good to see you, Jason, to him, Jason Garrett replied, we say good to see you, coach. That's how we do it. Shut up. Just shut up. You're not his coach. (laughs) You are not his coach, first off. Second off, I just don't believe in the idea of titles altogether. I think if I were in the situation of a player, I probably would call somebody coach. But as I've gotten older in life, I've just found that people that want you to call them by a title are generally smug. They are. And if they're reminding you that you need to call them by their title, that is, to me, a reinforcement to not call them by their title. There's a girl I went to high school with that has professor in her Instagram handle. Oh, God. (laughs) Is she tenured? I don't know. I hope not. She went to the Air Force Academy. Oh, okay. Well, so... Hmm. 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 Interesting. Look, I look at all these situations. We are not living in England. We are not worshiping earls, dukes, barons. I even have take issue with us giving politicians title. I, I feel like, no, you're a citizen representative. I mean, you are technically a citizen that has the saying power to represent your constituents. You know, whether you're the president or the senator or the congressman or a Supreme Court justice. I'm sort of like, no. The only person that can do it is the Graz. Yeah, the Graz is different. And he's going to join us at 1030 in the sports <laughs> It's a great way to wrap it all up. We are not England. We, we declared war on them and got our independence because we did not want to worship people with these titles. Titles are a thing of the past. It is 2021. And coach, especially, when you are not even a head coach anymore. You weren't even a good head coach when you were a head coach. You're the offensive coordinator of the New York Giants, who are terrible. So, you want to be called coach? My goodness. That is what's trending, everybody. Brought to you by Kings Heating and Air. I am Paul Gallant. 710-710 is the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. You can call in 206-421-3776. How different is Russell Wilson going to be in Shane Waldron's offense? Any cause for concern after a slow day, a sluggish day at practice? We'll talk about that right now with you. It's your chance to be heard. Your voice, your opinions. It's time to be heard. Every day at 1015 with Paul Gallant. Be Heard. 206-421-3776 is how you call in 710-710, the Mac and Jackson Brewing Company text line. The other thing about Jason Garrett, I mean, he wrote fight in a Sharpie on his shirt. A texter, that reporter needs to go in with a shirt that says Jason on it, written in Sharpie. Yeah, I like that. 
And there are people in New York who would operate that way. This is also the wrong market to do that. You're going to tell a Northeasterner to call you by a certain name. They will definitely not call you that. Uh, text in my jujitsu coach tells everyone to call him Brian. He thinks people calling master, sensei, etc. is weird. <laughs> a texter says, what about Sir Elton John? No. He's not a knight. What, is he going to get on a horse and, 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 you know, kill the French? No. He's not defending their country. And also, no. No. Titles are dumb. I find them dumb. We are Americans. We should all find titles dumb. Everyone is equal, right? Then titles are stupid. 710-710 of the Mac and Jacks. Brewing Company tax line. Russell just needs to know his role and shut his something that rhymes with role. Hmm. You know, if he has issues with some elements of the offense... I do think he should raise issue about it. I, I don't think you can tell a player, hey, you got to fit inside this box. And I don't care about what you like and what you don't like. You want to find out what elements of this offense that Russ likes if you're Shane Waldron. Now, there are some parts that I have seen, and it feels like there's a lot more of rollouts that we're seeing, which I think is great. You know, this is a mobile quarterback. It's weird that we did not see Russ roll out as much last year as you might have seen in years past. That dynamic seems to be back. The part that I'm intrigued by is just those really quick passes. And there have been a couple of opportunities where I think that Russ has actually executed it well in practice. Maybe not necessarily yesterday, but yesterday he was very hesitant. And, you know, that's going to happen from time to time. We obviously saw it down the uh, second half of the season against that cover two defense. 206-421-3776. Ooh, wow. This is a great, this is a great point. How do, you rea- how do you react to calling John Clayton the professor? I guess I'm a hypocrite. I'm going to unplug that one. I guess that's a nickname. Should I, should I move on from that forever and ever and ever? Oh, yeah. I would say it's more of a nickname than an actual title because he's not a professor. I'm not going to call him that again. <laughs> We're out. Uh-oh. We're out. Now you've just opened Pandora's. Ah, uh, whatever. Listen, I, 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 have, I have great respect for John, and I appreciate him joining us every single morning on the show. Uh, what about Lady Gaga? Lady Gaga. I mean, is, <laughs> I don't know. Is that a title, lady? I feel like that's a nickname. Maybe I'm just, this is semantics right now. Uh, 710-710 is how you text in. You can call in as well. 206-421-3776. Let's go to Robert in Kingsgate. Our guy, Robert, what's going on? Hey, you're lucky you're not talking about the Mariners, but let's talk about the Seahawks, a team that I can actually respect. What I think is going to happen is, it's going to be a balance between Shane Waldron and Russell Wilson. How much is Shane going to influence Russell to believe in his schemes? And how much is Russell Wilson going to say, you know what? No way. I've been doing this for 10 years. What you're trying to teach me is I already know. See ya. Yeah, I'll do it, but I'm going to do it my way. And then I think what's going to happen, if we go 8-8 eight and eight, don't make the playoffs, you're going to see a big change in the Seahawks formation 
even at QB. That's what I think is going to happen. Wow. And I don't think that you know we're not going to make the playoffs, but I kind of have the sense that Russell Wilson and a bunch of Seahawks fans are getting tired of the one and done. I am personally watching the. Well, who isn't? Yeah, we we have high standards here. You know, it's it's there's not there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's we should not be even high standards anymore. It's just the fact that other teams now have caught on to our scheme, and now we had to go mooch off the L.A. Rams to bring their coordinator <laughs> here. I, you know, I'm like, what is this? You know, has Pete Carroll lost his touch? I know he's more of a defensive back coach than he is you know, an offensive coordinator kind of guy because his defense is Pete Carroll. But I don't know. I don't see a lot of positive things happening this first year with our new offensive coordinator. It might take time, Robert. I mean, and appreciate the phone call. I mean, if you take a look at what Matt LaFleur was, Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers took a full season to actually work. And honestly, it did not really work at any point during the 2019 campaign, except for in that divisional playoff game against the Seahawks. That Packers offense was pretty schleppy in that 13-3 and season, at least from a passing game perspective. But then last year, I mean, they were a wagon. Couldn't be stopped. And the weird difference in between that is that they drafted a quarterback and a running back in the draft, and yet they were about as effective as you're going to see in passing attack B. So with that in mind, it could take that long but would Russ be that patient? I don't know. I still think that the Seahawks hold the ultimate card here. Russ would have to break character and do something that I think he's uncomfortable doing. I don't think that he would want to look like somebody who is quitting on a team. I just don't. I, I don't. And honestly, I, I respect that about him. I, I, I don't. I don't feel. It, it's a it's a bad look when you're forcing your way out. You want to, you guess like I guess you want to kind of keep it on the DL with Rogers. I respected his honesty in that press conference too, because at the very least he finally said like, "Hey, I'm not a victim here, but I do want things to be better." It'll be curious to see how things play out, but for now, he and Shane Waldron have to figure out what works for each of them. I'm Paul Gallant. It's the Paul Gallant Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up next, it is the Graz. We'll talk about the Mariners in the wild card race and who they maybe can definitively overtake as they compete with New York and Toronto and Oakland and I guess Boston now to potentially get one of those last wild card spots in the American League. It's 1030. And that means it's time to get in the sports pit. In the pit where all that stuff goes down, and if you don't have some freaking toughness, you're going to get your, you're going to, you're going to fail. With Paul Gallant. And joining me now, the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only David Grosby. Gross, how you doing, buddy? How's the hardest working man in show business doing? Eh, you know, another day, another dollar. <laughs> What's the most small talky thing I could say to open things up? Hey, how's the weather, that, Ross? That'd be, that, that'd be <laughs> so the Mar- two happy guys. Yes, yes, very much, very much so. So uh, Mariners anyway. open up open up a big series against the New York Yankees. Look, the, New York's playing well, but they have a bunch of guys who've got the cocoa. Um, you know, I'm 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 curious as to how you feel this series is going to go, especially with the way that the last one went, where. Mariners didn't play so well the first two nights, but the third game where they got a little chippy at the end, you got Rugnet Odor and DJ Dillamayhew getting all mad at Kendall Graveman. 
Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm curious as to how this four game series, especially with all of those people in the Bronx, is going to go. I wonder how important, although he was right in the middle of it, Graveman was to that, or the rest of the Mariners would react to it. I mean, you're going to have you, you're going to have guys pitching inside. I would imagine on both sides and. And uh, look, from the Yankees' standpoint, this is this is a really big series. It is for the Mariners as well. But you know, they they this is not a team they can afford to to look past. That they haven't put themselves in, in the wild card driving driving seat yet at all. They they really made big moves, big literally and big physically moves at the, at the deadline. So you know, the, the, it's a typical Yankees situation. Uh, George Steinbrenner's not screaming at them, but <laughs> but the fans are. They've added a lot of players, and their expectations are, are high, and they can't. They've got very little room to, to wiggle. So I would imagine you're going to see a Yankee team that's that's wound fairly tight. Do you think that you know, having won, of course, two or three against the Tampa Bay Rays, do you think that the issues that may have been in the clubhouse after the Kendall Graveman trade are put off to the side right now? Some of those emotions, those mixed feelings about moving on from him. Um, I think that that um, you compartmentalize, and you're you're a professional baseball player, and you've got to right. move on. You've got to, I but agree. I don't believe that that that's stuff that's necessarily forgotten by guys. You know, uh, I don't think they've just put it away. But I I think for for now they put it aside. You know, it's like all right, we're, we're unhappy about that, but look, we've got we've got this in front of us right now, and and I think uh, you know Tampa Bay maybe helped you know, knock a little sense into them, and especially in the fact that they win the series and, and win the series for them, nearly nearly win all three games, of course, but win the series playing good baseball. You know, they they, they, they really did the things that, that they've been doing beforehand. And, of course, it doesn't hurt a, even a little bit that Abraham Toro, the torso, yeah, the torso. Has, become, uh, has become such a player for him. I mean, you know, he, he has really been a, a, a huge factor offensively in the last couple of games, and and uh, that, that obviously helps as well. And more distance you put behind it, uh, it'll go. But, I, look, it's it's something that, that guys are going to remember, but uh, it's not something you can use as an excuse for playing uh, poorly or anything like that. The Gras hanging out with me in this sports pit. Paul Galancho on 710 ESPN Seattle. To go back to the Yankees, I hate them. Much like Indiana Jones oh, yeah. hates snakes. I hate them. Oh, yeah. I hate the Yankees, Graz. Where do they rank among hateable Mariner opponents? Because there's obviously more history that's involved with the Blue Jays. And I would say that the Astros have to be number one for basically every single fan base in baseball, but especially those in the American League West. But are the, are the Yankees number two? I know that the Toronto Blue Jays, because of all the invading Canadians that well, sometimes which, come yeah, to Yeah, not going to happen this year. That's right. It's not going to happen this we year. We built a wall. Just kidding. There's COVID. <laughs> um, you know, in, in a way, it would have been the Yankees because of not, not just 95 when the Mariners won, but for Roger Clemens knocking them out in 2001. I mean, the Yankees took mm, them out in, in five yeah. games, uh, the, the, the best team the Mariners have ever had, the best team that the American League has ever seen with 116 wins. The problem is, of course, it was 21 years ago. So uh, it, uh, they're, they're, they're the boogeyman for everyone. I mean, they're, they're, everyone will look at them and, and, and in general not like them and want to beat them, even though they have not been the dominant franchise the last five to six years that they, they, they were uh, in, in the recent past. They haven't been they, – they've, they've had their – had some moments. Look, they've, they've been in the postseason, so it's not like they haven't been there. But they, they, haven't, they haven't felt like the, the behemoths that, they, that no. they were in the past. And, and that's, that's, that, that's to do with winning World Series games, which, which is something they haven't done. But they're signing all – I mean, they look, they look like the old Yankees. They're signing all the big free agents, the biggest contracts. They're, they're making the, the deadline deals for the biggest players. 
Uh, I would love to see a little little chippiness from from both sides, especially the Mariners side. That would be a perfect way to get this series started. Uh, to to get a little get get the Yankee fans mad at you. It, it's I tell you from a ball player's perspective, you can live off that energy. You can live off the energy, even if you're an opposing player at Yankee Stadium. Um, it it, uh, it definitely benefits both sides. So. Um, yeah, the Yankees they rank they they rank there for everyone. For the Mariners that they for a while there they were number one, but um, you know too much time has passed. And and you're right, I think from just a rivalry standpoint, when the Blue Jays come down it was, was the time that the uh, stadium rocked the most the past couple of years. But um, you know you're longing for you're longing for an Astro rivalry or an Oakland rivalry. You need to get a division rivalry going if you can. I would love one of those. Yes, and, and honestly, it's going to happen with the way that they've been playing. I, I, especially, I would say against Oakland this year. I, I think that. That's definitely possible because they actually do have the A's number thus far. Uh, the Mariners could have swept the Rays over yeah. the season had it not been for a misplay of a ball by Jared Kelnick in the outfield. And, you know, it wasn't a good look. It wasn't. But no. After, no. The fact, after the fact, Scott Service, he said that it might have had something to do with the trop. Uh, Tropicana Field in St. Petersburg, Florida, which many people consider to be maybe the worst stadium in baseball or in all American professional sports. Is there any stadium that's worse in your mind? The only, the only one, one. The only one that's even in the ballpark is in Oakland. Yeah. The only one that's in the ballpark is in Oakland. I mean, the Trop is is uniquely bad because it's uh, you know it's an indoor stadium, so it's got a lot of dangling wires and. And crosswalk th- things, you know, balls can hit off things up up on the roof on catwalks and things like that. It's terribly lit. I mean, it, it's uh, you know, I understand it. Uh, you know, when you see it, it's you know, who wants to go in there? I know it's you know, I, I'm gonna, I tell you what, it's 99, 99 percent humidity, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna stay out here. I'm not going in there. I <laughs> mean, I, I really literally think people make that call sometimes. No, bro, I, I live there. No, you don't. You do not want to go outside. They were trying to make an outdoor ballpark, and b- between all the thunderstorms that take place in, oh in no, Florida, you couldn't have one. Yeah, they they would be crazy to do that. And but you know, but you can have something nicer than that. I I have an idea because when they hit the home runs, have you noticed that they like put these ambient lights up at the top of the roof, and it looks like it's like a discotheque or something yeah. like that? Yeah, like how about just have the roof, you know, the whole time, like just be flashing lights and stuff, so it'll feel like we're I don't know at a rave or something like that. Uh, it's some anything, anything. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, that that in Oakland standalone is as the true true dumps. Uh, for state, state, I can think of another football. I'm just thinking about the NFL really quick and, and FedEx no, Field. The f- yeah, the field yeah, is the, awful. The there, field is always bad. You got the Superdome. I mean, electricity stopped midway through a Super Bowl. Yeah, but the Superdome. Have you been to Superdome? I have not. No, I've driven by I, it. I, I have. It's uh, it, it's it, it's really pretty cool. I mean, even though it's it's so old at this point. I mean, it's really pretty cool. And look, that 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 was a building that okay, I'm, I'm a dome. I, I may not be the prettiest thing, but out of my revenues, they built their basketball arena. I mean, it was it was you know, it was at least it was a smart buy for the community. A, a texter just asked about the Kingdom. Where did the Kingdom rank compared to these? And obviously, this is a long, long time ago now, so well, it's a different era to compare it to. No, it, it it would it would it would be in the in the in the dump category without question. I mean, tiles they didn't maintain it, and the tiles fell from the roof and and nearly killed Cal Ripken during his streak. Well, that's exaggerating a little bit, but the <laughs> but the Orioles were in town. <laughs> Um, you know, I I, I I I had a key to the kingdom, Paul. That's there awesome. Was such a th- there was such a thing as a key to the kingdom, and and I had one, and and uh, you know I went through every nook and cranny of it, and it was it was just as much of a dump that you think it was. And, <laughs> but I tell you what, it was loud, and and it served its purpose. Um, it it was it was time for it to go when it went, 
but it served its purpose pretty much. That is the Graz every Tuesday, Thursday on the Paul Gallant Show. Graz, thanks so much, man. Have a great weekend. You too, Paul. That is the Graz, everybody, on the Paul Gallant Show. I just said that already. 710 ESPN Seattle. The question of today's show, and it has to do with the struggles that the Seahawks had on offense yesterday at training camp. How different is Russell Wilson going to be in Shane Waldron's offense? Is he going to be able to change, adapt his game to said offense? Does he need to, or does the offense need to adapt to him? All of that next. You're listening to Paul Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Every day at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. It was an ugly day for the Seahawks offense yesterday. And it has me wondering just about how Russell Wilson's going to be able to adapt to Shane Waldron, but also how Shane Waldron's going to adapt to Russell Wilson. Nothing to fret about. There's nothing to get worked up over either. These things happen at training camps every single year across every single team in the league. And generally at this point in the year, too, the defense is ahead of the offense. A couple of texts in, 710-710 Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. I think in general defense is easier to be 75% of the, 75% of the way there at the start of training camp than it is for the offense. I, I tend to agree. I, I'd also say yesterday, too, that one of the noteworthy things from training camp is just the, I think, pretty big gap that's between Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. This is not meant as a slight against Rashad Penny because I know he's still coming back from an injury. But I am not seeing him hit the gas, I guess, until he sees open field in the same way that I'm seeing Chris Carson do it when he's been out there. And Carson's also been elusive and agile looking too on top of it. So that was noteworthy yesterday because Rashad Penny was getting a lot of the work. And I, I feel like if you are involving Chris Carson more, this offense is just going to be better. I wonder how much of a step back they take when Penny is on the field because he's going to be used a lot this season. I think that the Seahawks are definitely counting on that. And everything that you're hearing from Pete Carroll, that's an expectation. That isn't necessarily, though, something that will actually come together. Uh, another text about what we're seeing from the Seahawks offense at training camp. Again, bad day yesterday. Paul, in practice, you sometimes do things that you normally wouldn't do in a game just because you're practicing on something, uh, whatever that may be so, like preseason games. I don't look too much into it because come game time, that's a whole other thing. So basically, in a nutshell, you're saying that you can try different things in practice that you wouldn't in a game. I will say this, though. In practice, you can control the situation and practice the exact situation where in a game, you sort of have to stumble into a situation and practice it then when it happens in the moment. So obviously it's something that is difficult or excuse me different to react to, you know? You're you're reacting in the moment, you have to have guys knowing their spot on the field, etc., where where they have to be by the coaches, they have to be ready to sub in if they potentially need to, but where you can practice situational football, I actually think in practice you can do a lot more. It's one of the reasons that I'm a big proponent of joint practices, which I know is not something the Seahawks have done, but I feel like a joint practice is way more valuable than a preseason game. Could be wrong on that front, but I feel like it, you just you just get to see your team in so many more scenarios than you would in an actual game, and you get to guess I guess run through all of those scenarios as opposed to just sitting back and hoping that certain scenarios unfold like a two minute offense or something like that in the midst of a preseason game. You you might not have that opportunity, you know. I mean, it really depends on who has the ball at the end of the first half. Sometimes you're not going to get the ball at the end of the first half, so you can't even actually practice it. 
710-710. Not a peep about starting the preseason today. Are you guys not excited? It's the Hall of Fame game. You know, I, I can't can't lie. I'm bad at it. Dak Prescott's not going to be there. Ben Roethlisberger's not going to be there. It's going to be cool to see guys in helmets flying at each other. But generally, the first game is the sloppiest one. You're going to see a ton of flags. You're going to see a ton of delays. Hopefully, the field doesn't melt like it did that one year in Canton. I am excited to see Najee Harris if he plays tonight. We do like Najee Harris here. Najee Harris is a very, very outspoken guy, and I like him. I like him, too. But how long is he going to be in for? You know, you can't even really watch for specific guys. For the most part, this will be something that can help your watching experience of Hard Knocks when it starts. You're going to be able to get a little extra insight, I guess, into the Cowboys. But, yeah, you know, Uh, text in. Who would you have a joint practice with, Paul? Ooh, that is a great question. Well, you sort of would want to do it with the Rams, but that would not be advantageous to you, especially with teams being as secretive. So you want to do it with a team that's in the AFC. The team that I would most want to do it with would be New England. 100%. New England's defense is good. Like, really, really good. They have a great secondary. And I feel like DK Metcalf going up against Stephon Gilmore. I feel like Tyler Lockett going up against J.C. Jackson. Assuming Stephon Gilmore would be out there. I... That would be the one that I would want. Because you're going to pick a team from the AFC because you don't want to, you know, I guess tip your hand. And you just played them, by the way, too. So you're not going to play them for a couple of years last season. Um, so that would be the one I would pick. But I would imagine that they are the apple of a lot of people's eye. Tampa Bay would be an interesting one, too. But again, I don't think you want to do the interconference ones. 710 uh, on the Mac and Jacks Brewing Company text line. Is Russell Wilson going to be different in Shane Waldron's offense? Text. Seattle fans and media need to chill out on Russ. You realize we wouldn't be bleep without him? I think everyone understands that. But you hold him to this standard of, can he be an MVP kind of quarterback? And that's, I still think, a question that we believe we know the answer to, but we're not 100% sure. And this text sort of answers that, 710-710. It's time for Seattle to realize that Russ is a good quarterback, but not the fantastic quarterback. Bye. Thanks. At the end of the text. That's a grenade that you're just rolling into the room and then walking out on. Russ is a great quarterback. I mean, I, I feel like right now he has, given the resume for quarterbacks to make the Hall of Fame, I don't think is that it's not that much of an obstacle. I, I think that Russell Wilson, assuming his career continues, is, is on track for that. But, I, yeah, I, I, I think there are questions about what, like where he is going to stand amongst all of them, and he has to close out a season strong like he did before. In 2015, he was awesome down the stretch. Awesome. Why was he awesome then, and why hasn't he been awesome the last two years? And are we really going to blame an offense for that? Subjective, I suppose. That's the hope, though. That's your hope going into this year. There have been struggles. I, I, I do think that it's important to realize why they might happen, that they likely will continue, that it's not the end of the world if they continue. What I want the most out of training camp is for Russell Wilson to somewhat rewire himself so that the short, the intermediate, what the defense gives him is more of an option for him than it maybe had been last year, specifically at the end. That's what they're working on right now. Hopefully yesterday's the kind of day 
that they can sit back, watch the film of, and say, oh, okay, this is what we did wrong, this is what we did wrong. So big test for Shane Waldron, because he's the guy that's going to be looking for that. This has been the Paul Galan Show. Big thanks to the Gras who stopped by in the sports bit. Big thanks to Moore Dooley as well, who produces the show every single day, the texters, the callers. I am merely Paul Galan. So long, farewell. Jake and Stacy are next. <laughs>